The answer is no. It doesn't mean that I love her more. And if I take her out to eat, does that mean that I love her more? And the answer is no. So I don't have to do it, right? I do have hey, to do it. welcome to Crosswalk okay, Church. we've established Today, that. Pastor then Dan why do I teaching, do it? So head over to Crosswalk and the answer is, and is find because message under the worship each of tab. those things doesn't you mean that you love someone to more. Along. But now, what it means Pastor Dan. is that you are communicating your love more clearly. That, that that love might be very true and very deep in my heart, but if she is not receiving that, if she doesn't know that, it's not doing her a whole lot of good. And one thing I found is, is this in, in life is that all of us about some things are insecure. That even after 27 years of marriage, I, I can guarantee that there are times when there are insecurities, both on her part and mine, that, that as we, we look at our relationship that we wonder, oh my goodness, does, does she still love me? Does he still love me? And maybe it's even because in our lives there are times when I give her reason to think otherwise. Think about it though. If I were to tell her 99 times I love you and one time I hate you, what do you think she would remember? That one time. And why is that? Because our insecurities latch on to that one time. That if, if she were to, to think about and, and talk to me, and she has, that, that when she says, Dan, when you are mean to me, and there's times when you me, are mean to me and you don't even realize it, that makes me insecure. And when you get angry, and, and when you get upset, and when you yell, that pushes me away more than you know, and it just makes me wonder what's going on. And, and for that reason, what is important in, in relationships is that we recognize that, that those around us are insecure, that we are insecure, and so it needs constant reinforcement, constant. Now, I want you to think about other areas where you're insecure, because it's in relationships, it can be in a relationship, in a marriage, but it's in every relationship at, at some level. There is something you are insecure about. In our, our country, many of us, are insecure about the way that we look, whether it be our, our, our features, our weight, our height, our hair. Have I covered it all? <laughs> and and we, we look at that and, and then we look on TV and we see that what they are and, and what we're not. And then what happens is commercials come on and it's like, Sonobello might work. You know what I mean? That I can be, I can have this all taken care of in one day with a pretty easy procedure and then, then I will feel secure about how I look. And that's the lie, that's the myth. The, the myth is that you can one day get there or maybe it's not how you look, maybe it's how you see yourself, that you feel like you're dumb, that, that you are not smart enough. And so when it comes to things like a, a job and you go, are thinking about applying for a job, you're insecure, like I'm not smart enough to do that. I'm not good enough to do that. I'm gonna be found out if I do this. Or in a relationship, if you're just dating someone, man, he hasn't called me for a couple days. He hasn't text. he's not returning my texts as quickly as he used to. You know what, she just seem, doesn't seem to be giving the attention. She, she's going out with her friends more than she used to. So I don't know what this means. And so insecurity is bred. 
Also, I, I see this in my kids in school. They, they, I don't know if it's part of their perfectionist tendencies like their father, but they always felt, I always felt when I was in college like I was flunking. And, and it just insecure about what the grades would be. And, and just so you know, one of my daughters is telling me that she has a 4.0. It's like, what is wrong with you? Where is this insecurity coming from? In the blank, I want you to write this. Most people are insecure in relationships and need assurance that they are loved. Most people are insecure in relationships and need assurance that they are loved. And the reason why is they have reason, I think, that we have reasons with our own weaknesses, with the weaknesses of others. Maybe we've been hurt in the past and we bring that with us where we are today. And if that is true in relationships, do you see how it's not really a long step to get to an insecure relationship with God? That, that, you can, that, that if I were to stand here today and give you reasons or try to think of reasons why God would not love me, me, why God would not forgive me, I'm telling you that I have all the ammo on myself, okay? Over, over the 50 plus years I've been alive, that there are things that have disgusted me, that, that there are times I have trouble living with myself, let alone thinking of God living with me. What makes this even worse, what, what puts even more pressure on this already tenuous bridge to God is pain and suffering. And now all of a sudden, what happens when I'm carrying around enough guilt and enough insecurity about what, what I've done, now all of a sudden we put even more pressure on this. And the pressure might be that I'm, I'm sick or I'm hurt or I'm suffering in some way. And my first thought goes to God punishing me. This must be for something I've done. Finally, God is going to pull the rug out from underneath me and I'm going to get what I deserve. And God is up in heaven going, are you kidding me? My goodness gracious people, what more do I have to do for you? That, that not only have I made you, but I've sent my son, Jesus Christ, to save you. What more can I do than, than send Jesus to be your savior to the cross? What more can I do than give you my word and, and point you towards him as the ultimate love, the ultimate sacrifice when, when he gave his life for yours? And today we're going to see that, that God's answer to that is to say I love you, to give you a card that says I love you, and to take you out to eat to say he loves you because he knows down deep you have insecurities. But the way that those insecurities are met is not by you trying harder, but by you changing your focus from yourself to him and realizing how much he truly loves you. That's why we're going to First Peter right now, because these people were under tremendous amount of pain, a tremendous amount of suffering, most of it having to do from their relationship with God. And so now he addresses them with the sole purpose of reassuring them of how much they are loved. So the first one is from First Peter 3, verse 13. 
And the question, or the question he asked, the question of the first verse is this, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? What is the answer to that? Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? That we think the answer to that, we think should be nobody? That, that if I'm eager to do what is good, doesn't that mean that, that I'm trying to do good for other people? That means everyone should love me. Wouldn't it? Because I'm trying to help them. But in the blank, you can write, come on, Peter, no good deed goes unpunished. Do you want to know why there's good Samaritan laws on the books? Remember the good Samaritan, he's the one who stops by and sees someone lying in the ditch and, and then goes to help him. And, and what happens in our wonderful country of the United States of America? I don't like the way you help me, so I'm going to sue you. And what am I suing you for? Because you stopped on the side of the road and you helped me and it, it didn't help me in the way that I wanted. Think about this. I, I think about this in, in ministry for myself personally. In case you wonder why I want, wanted to be a pastor, why I prepared for the ministry, I think it came from at a very young age that I just, my identity was pretty firm, I think, just from, I came from a solid family upbringing. But one of the things that always the, the blessing of the gospel, to me anyways, that I always looked forward to the most was the idea of destiny, the idea of, of looking forward to going to heaven. To me, that, was, that, was, that fills me more than I can tell you on a daily basis. That's when you, when you think about what, if you want to know what drives me every day, that's what drives me, is knowing that I'm going to my father's house one day. And I could tell you a number of specific times in my life where there were some things going on that were very difficult when that kept me going. And for that reason, I wanted to be a pastor, and I still do, to, to share that with other people and, and tell people how much you are loved by Jesus, to reassure you of that love. Dan, who's gonna hate you if you wanna do that for a living? I guarantee you, and I, I have a, probably a list, and it's longer than I think it is, of people who really don't like me. And, and, and that I get. But, but in the midst of it, to simply say, all that I was trying to do is tell you how much Jesus loved you. And so sometimes it's surprising to us. This, this is the point. Because all of you have served in some way serve other people, whether it be in your families or here at Crosswalk or whatever it is, you serve. And all of you, in the midst of that service, whether it be your job, whether it be wherever it was, have done something nice for someone and have gotten your hand bit by them. And when that happens, what is the natural tendency to do? I'm done. Fine, then I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to do any more good. I'm going to stop. That, that this is enough. I've tried to help you. That's the way you are. I'm done. And that is where Peter is saying, <laughs> stop. Stop. Stop just for a moment to understand that as you are trying to do good, living your life for Christ, trying to please God, love God and love others in what you do, there might be an issue. 
So let's go to the next part where he follows. So who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? You think the answer is gonna be no one, but Peter anticipates it when he says, but even if someone should suffer for what is right. So there's gonna be times the promise is that you are going to suffer, you are blessed. I'm going to say when I suffer and you say I am blessed. When I suffer. When I suffer. When I try to do good for someone and they come and they come back after me. When I try to love someone and they push me away. You're not very convincing. (laughs) When I suffer, I'm blessed. I am truly blessed that in the heart of this, when I am doing what is right and and I'm showing the love of God in my life and even when suffering comes on me because of that, God is my witness, I am blessed. I had to try that in front of the mirror for a couple days (laughs) because it doesn't feel, I don't feel blessed. I feel beat up, I feel tired, I feel like I wanna give up. And and that's why Peter is telling them that's the reality, you are blessed. But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Stop right there. But in your hearts, revere, set apart Christ as Lord. When that happens, you need to strip down your life to the basics and that is that Jesus is my savior Jesus is my Lord. Even as all of this is going on outside me, don't be frightened. Go back to that. Set apart Christ in your heart as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior... This is what it is, just so this doesn't surprise you. This is what Peter is saying. There are going to be people who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And I'm going to tell you that that shame does not come on the day of the slander. And it might not come within a week or a month or a year of the slander. It might not come within five years of the slander. It might not come on this side of heaven, but there will come a day when they look back, when all of us look back, when God as our judge stands there and they look back and they are ashamed of their malicious words against your, against these people's good behavior. In the blank, you can write, my willingness to suffer for what is right gives me credibility and opens the hearts of people close to me. It gives me credibility and opens the heart of people close to me. It, it is, it's interesting being a pastor, I'll just tell you. And one of the things that, that, that comes up is this, whenever someone I'm with tells the other people were with that I'm a pastor, their conduct changes immediately. And they look at me differently. 
And so that it's always, oh, I've got to watch my mouth. I, you know, and I say, no, you don't have to do that because I'm a pastor. It's just because God's watching, just saying. <laughs> so maybe it should be all the time. But, but it was so, so pastorally, it's usually not that big a deal because people, at least on some level, respect that, even, even today. What was brutal was telling someone that I'm studying to be a pastor. And when I did this, and I lived in uh, north of Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is where I went to school, and I worked at a, a it was a warehouse, basically, for KitchenAid appliances and t- whatever. Anyways, I worked there, and my job was to go, I was an assistant to the groundskeeper and uh, did maintenance as well. So I would go with him throughout all places of this company. And there was a group that all of us would take break at the same time. And evidently, if you're going to the seminary and, and you have a, a group of guys that work in the warehouse... They want to know uh, sexual habits, drug use, any drinking. They want to know all of it to say, what, what do guys who go to the seminary do for things like that? Because we know what we do, and it's got to be, are you like, it's crazy. It's, it's kind of their obsession with, with your, your living and, and how you live as a young man at that time in my, my 20s. And so I'm like, you guys, I really do not want to have this conversation. So then what happened is it turned into theirs. So, so then it was every time, and I think they would do it on purpose, that it was their latest conquest or their latest drinking binge or whatever it was, that it, it was usually, I'll just say this, in the break room it was foul. And whatever, I, I, it's not like I came in in, in disdain on them. I, they weren't Christians, so I didn't, that's fine. I mean, I endured it. I'll just say it that way, in break room, and usually didn't say anything. And that is one day, on, as we were walking in, to the break room, an individual who's one of those guys said, hey, Dan, can I talk to you for a little bit? I'm like, yeah, I'm going in the break room. He's like, I really don't want to go in the break room. And I'm like, oh, okay. And instead, we went out in the warehouse in a quiet area. He's like, I'm just telling you that hanging around these guys is destroying my marriage. I just, the... the the stuff they talk about, the, the times what happens is afterwards they want to go out drinking all the time, which I'm not like against necessarily, but it's all the time and it always goes into places that I don't want to be. And, and all of a sudden what it, what it made me realize is this. Putting up with this over a period of time gave me credibility with him. And it also provided me with a stage, even though that stage was in a tucked away part of a warehouse where no one else could see, to share the hope that I had in Jesus Christ and to do it with him with gentleness and respect. I don't know where you are at right now. I don't know if if you are in a situation where where you are living and, and 
in different environments you are in where you just feel like there's this constant pressure against you. These people did. The people that Peter was writing to were in the midst of that, and they were going underneath unbelievable amounts of pressure because of their faith, and they were suffering because of it. And what Peter was telling them is there will come a day when individuals see what you are doing, and if nothing else, they will be curious. Curious, what keeps you going? And, and as we look at this, we talk about this, and, and I, but I think it's more important for you to answer that question. What is it that keeps you going in your walk with Christ? Is it your new identity? That you are a, a child of God? Yes, I am. That, that, that when I think about Jesus making me his child, is, is it the destiny? Is it the fact that you are able in this, this world to keep your eyes facing forward and, and you know what is in your future with Jesus taking you to heaven? Is it your purpose of showing love and care for those around you? Is it the community of the church that, that, you, that you are around other people who truly love and care about you and, and in a spiritual way and an emotional way and in a physical way that they are there for you? There isn't one right answer for the reason for the hope that you have. But my encouragement right now is that if you are going through the suffering, which I'm gonna guess all of us are because we live in a world that's full of sin, that maybe during this time that you need to be thinking about what is keeping you going. To maybe even put it into words because someday someone is going to ask you and God wants you to be ready to share it. We continue. For it is better, if it's God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Wow. <laughs> okay, it's better for suffering for doing good than for doing evil. All right, this is, this is God's point. You are going to suffer at some point in your life. No one gets out of here without suffering. The beauty of this is you get to determine what you suffer for. What are you going to take your stand on? Are you going to suffer? And we see it, all you gotta do is watch news. I'm willing to suffer for going, the latest newscast I watched was last night, for going in and taking 20 cartons of cigarettes out of a Circle K. That's what I'm willing to suffer for, is for money or getting my smokes. Am I willing to suffer from my drug habit? Am I willing to suffer from my alcohol addiction? Am I willing to suffer for whatever it is, my, the anger that I have in my heart? Or am I going to suffer for something positive? That, that I'm going to suffer for things that, that show love to God and others? Because on a daily basis, I'm just telling you people, you get to choose. You get to choose what you suffer for. It, if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. I'm gonna read that again. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Who's the unrighteous? Just so we're clear, I'm the unrighteous. You are the unrighteous. Remember, we stopped being self-righteous. Rather, we're, we're saying we're, we're honest about being unrighteous. But Jesus, the righteous one, came for you, the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. We could spend the next hour on this. This is what I will tell you about it. Why does he go to the ark people? The, the time when Noah, when the ark was being built? The reason why is because the verses written in the book of Genesis say, every inclination of their heart was evil all the time. It's the place in the Bible where, where God said, it can't be any worse than this. That there were only six people left in the world who believed in God. And that's why God was determined to, to wipe out the world through the flood and, and save Noah and his family in the ark. So, so as you look at that through Noah and his family and his three sons, so there were eight. So as you look at that, that's why this is pointing to it, that Peter's saying, remember the worst it ever was? God does. And, and in the midst of this, that, that Jesus is going to show his victory even over those people. God's victory over those who are wicked is not just in the present, it's not just in the past, it's across all time. And when he showed that is when he died on the cross, and then it says, we say this in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell. The purpose of Christ's descent into hell would be the same purpose of having, like after the Civil War in the Appomattox Courthouse is where they signed the peace agreement. It's where one side says to the other, we recognize your victory. That's why Jesus descended into hell. It was to say, you know what, the, this time when you lived long ago and, and you were disobedient and all that sin, you were wrong. This is the proclamation of Christ's victory, the righteous for the unrighteous. And this was the reminder for the people of the day because they thought that unrighteousness and sin was winning. And, and he tells them, be assured through the death and resurrection of Jesus that he wins. He has won this victory. Don't forget it. So, in the blank you can write, Christ's suffering followed by a victory proclamation is the ultimate proof that suffering accomplishes a purpose. We turn the page. And he continues with this thing about these people, right? At the time of Noah in the ark, he says, in it, only a few people, eight in all, Noah and his wife and their family, in it, eight were saved through water. And this water, the waters of the flood, symbolize baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission, in submission to him. Let's do the blanks right away. Baptism is an assurance that I am loved. I use my baptism and connect to Jesus' resurrection daily by drowning my sinful nature and by embracing my new God-given identity. Now, the, the picture of the flood in, and comparing it to baptism, I, I want you to understand this because in the flood, water both killed 
and water saved at the same time. The same water that came down and drowned everyone who was, the inclination of their heart was evil all the time, it killed them and at the same time it raised the ark. And that's the, the, the image that God wants you to have of baptism. That the same baptism that when God comes and washes us, when, when God through baptism adopts you to be his child, on the one hand inside of you, your sinful nature is, is, is destroyed and at the same time that water lifts the new person of faith up inside of you. The word of God the law of God both destroys your sinful nature and the promises of God encourage you and, and lift you up. And this is so important for you to understand every day because probably the, the biggest misunderstanding of, of baptism that, that I see is that people do not look at baptism as a reassurance of God's love for them, but they make it into a reassurance of their love for God. And if you do that, there's going to be insecurity. There's going to be questioning because it rests on your promise rather than God's. And so this is the point. The, the point is that these waters of baptism is where God both works on, on sin inside of you and lifts you up in faith as well. The next verse, let's look at it right away. It will help us a little bit more to understand it when it says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Now, God takes us to a different portion of suffering. And this suffering is not as a result of our faith that comes from the outside. This is the suffering of what it means to be a Christian suffering from having sin inside of you every day of your life. We have this dual reality inside of us and that is that we have a sinful nature and a new man inside of us in the same body. And what it is, it's like a, a, a devil and an angel at the same time fighting for the steering wheel in a car that's going down the road at 60 miles an hour. And so sometimes our, our, our lives can be like that. We're, we're so frustrated. We're like, oh my goodness, I, I'm trying to get a, a grasp on this. And God's promise in baptism is he says, come to me in baptism every day. And as you do that, confess your sin. And as you confess your sin, what that does is it, it pounds on that sinful nature inside of you. Knock him into submission. And even when you think of it, how graphic the words are in the Bible, we are told on a daily basis to drown our sinful nature and to crucify your yourself, your sinful nature inside of you. He doesn't say take a knife and, and stab it and kill it. He doesn't say take a gun because they didn't have guns. But I think the reason why he, he used drowning and crucifixion is this. I don't want this to get too gory or too graphic, but I want you to imagine Maybe you've seen this in a movie, a drowning scene where someone kills someone by drowning them. It doesn't happen in two seconds where someone comes and shoots someone and they're dead. The drowning scene lasts 
minutes and minutes and minutes, and it's trying to get the other one, and it's this, this horrible, it's, it's so graphic, it's so physical, it's a wrestling match where, where you're holding them in, and there's, there, there's the flailing around and fighting for your life. That's the suffering of what it means to be a Christian when you have a sinful nature like me, like you do, on a daily basis. Or, even better, he uses the picture of crucifixion. A crucifixion could last a couple days. And, and think of what happens in a crucifixion. You nail something to the cross, and then you have to hold it up there and make sure it stays there until it is dead. And the difficult part is that is what you are called to do to yourself. That in the midst of this wrestling match that you are saying, but this is something I love. This is something I want to hold on to. This is something where I'm not, I'm not willing to kill it completely because a part of it I like. The encouragement that we have through baptism is that it's connected to the resurrection of Jesus Christ where there is victory. And as we bring that into our daily life, it's the call for every Christian to come before the Lord, Lord, I have sinned against you. From the first words we say in the morning to the last words we say at night, falling on God's mercy and that forgiveness. And what does he respond with? Reassurance that you are loved and forgiven by him. So I will reframe my suffering from God punishing me to sin leaving my body and life. That's what that suffering is. And finally, as a result, do not live the rest of their earth the rest of their earthly lives for the evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. They are surprised that you do not join in their reckless wild living and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead. And again, that's referring back to Jesus proclaiming that victory so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. That is why God continues to give us his word, why we continue to need both God's law, which damns us, and his gospel, which lifts us back up. It's the reason why Noah's ark has to take place in our lives on a daily basis, where, where that boat needs to float. The boat of our faith needs to float up with the strength and promises that God gives. In the blank, you can write, understanding my new identity and everything that God has done for me, I will live new. So I asked my wife, what do you want for Valentine's Day? She says, Dan, I want you to say you love me. I want you to give me a card that says I love you. And I want you to take me out to eat to say I love you. And I say, yes, dear, because I do. And I want her to know that. And in your life, God offers you the same. He says, I want you to know how much I love you. And so I'm going to tell you I love you and, I am, and you are forgiven. I'm going to have pastors and Christian friends repeat this to you all the time to remind you that you are loved so you never forget it. 
but then I'm going to give you a gift in baptism where on a daily basis you are reminded that you are adopted into my family. But don't miss the message. The message is, I love you. And then I'm gonna take you out to eat something called the Lord's Supper. I'm going to give you my body and blood yet again, and I'm going to let others see you as you stand before me and say, this person right here is forgiven, and that person is forgiven, just in case you need to be told publicly in front of other people, you are loved. That's my job. That's why I became a pastor. It, it's, it's a great reason to choose to suffer for, and I ask you to, to do that with me. Continue to suffer. Choose to suffer for what is good and what is right the good news of Jesus Christ and the fact that you and all those around you are loved and forgiven. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, thank you that you have given me a new identity in baptism, that you use baptism not just to wash away my sin, but you also pronounce your name on me in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by doing that, Lord, that is an adoption into your family. And so help us on a daily basis to each one of us to start the day by saying, I am a child of God bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Help that identity and our destiny and our, all of those different things, Lord. Help us, each one of them, to remind us again and again of how much we are loved. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. As, as you leave here today, I hope I didn't leave a whole lot of question with this, but God kind of likes you. As a matter of fact, God loves you. And in case you haven't heard it from another person yet today, I love you. I, I love you with the love of Jesus Christ. And, and as you go through life, understand that, that the people who are sitting next to you here today, I don't care how long you've known them, they're, they're as insecure as you are. And they need to hear it. They need to hear about Jesus' love and his forgiveness and about yours as well. So, so let's do that. Let's, let's make that part of living new is to take that identity we have as loved children and show that love to others. And now as you go, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great day.